Hi, everybody. Trukama Radio is back on the air. My name is Yuvi, and I will be co-hosting this episode. Thanksgiving is already behind us, but we're still very thankful to have Daishi join us today. Daishi, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. I hope you're doing well and you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Good to hear. Yes, I did. So today we are going to be talking about a very, very exciting topic, Kundalini, more specifically the secrets of Kundalini. So as a little preamble, according to Wikipedia, Kundalini in Hinduism refers to a form of primal energy said to be located at the base of the spine. And the word itself comes from Sanskrit, meaning coiled up or the coiling one. Also, one of the many book recommendations you have given students over the years is the Shiva Samhita, which is a Sanskrit treatise on Hatha Yoga. And I went there as well. And in the knowledge section, we find this paragraph about Kundalini. The great goddess Kundalini is there in the form of a streak of lightning. Coiled three and one half times, she is delicate and resembles a snake. She appears as the creation of the world and is always busy creating. Ineffable, she is the goddess of speech, constantly worshipped by the gods. So, lots of interesting points there, but first, could you say generally, what is Kundalini? And would it be correct to say that, in a very basic way, it's an intelligent energy? This subject is so large, we could spend weeks talking about this. So for us to go over this adequately in 20 minutes is going to be pretty challenging. And I also want to say, I think we have to be clear to start with, there isn't anybody on this planet, I could say with a surety, that understands Kundalini or this universal life force energy well enough to speak about it with any authority, in my opinion. Because this energy is not just some form of energy, although we can say that there are maybe flavors or types, because there's really only one pervading universal kind of energy. But to say that this particular kind of energy is intelligent is also suggesting that the other energies or flavors of that one unique and unified energy is not intelligent or less intelligent. And that would also be incorrect. So we have to tread carefully and be very careful with how we approach and how we try to understand this energy, because it's the energy that drives us gives us life and it gives us our exuberance to breathe. It makes our heart beat. It gives us our perception, our conscious awareness, our cognition, whatever you want to call it. It provides the access to the memory and our identity and our egoic boundary and our intellect, the way that our senses perceive, see, smell, taste, touch, etc. So then how do we approach this and have a discussion about it with any kind of intelligible understanding. And that's really difficult. But if we decide together that we're going to break it up into flavors and types and kinds, just for the sake of splitting it apart so we can kind of point at it, then you could say that this particular kind of energy is a potentiality. It's existing now. It's giving us life, but it's dimly lit, for lack of a better word. It's on slightly. It's flowing in a line that's like a thread and gives us just enough life force to perceive at the base level of human receptivity. Now, with that said, there are ways, and there are methods, and there are many great sages, seers, and saints of the past have found and developed processes to cause this potentiality to express itself in greater ways. And because of that, we've had all sorts of crazy, <laughs> mystical kinds of experiences throughout the ages that have been different also some similar, but mostly different and unique to each individual 
And because of that, we end up with massive confusion and misunderstanding about what this is, whether it's good or bad, whether it should be accessed or not, how to access it, how not to access it. And inevitably, is it really profitable? Does it really help the path or not? And so with all these questions, (laughs) I lay them out in front of you and you pick where you want to start and we'll go from there. (laughs) All right. Well, first of all, you said that it's present in all human beings, but it's dim. And there's a lot of talk about Kundalini awakening. What's that process like? Why should anyone even be interested in Kundalini awakening? That's a great starting point, a perfect question. Why should we care or be interested? And is it worthwhile to pursue this? And that really goes back to where the origination of this energy or force was discovered. And so let's go back tens of thousands of years. Or if we want to stay within the current majority understanding of history, let's say, you know, a few thousand years. And at some point, some very brilliant, wise sage sat down and went within deep enough to figure out that at some point within their body was this potential energy. And as they investigated and began to play with and understand this energy, they realized that it could be amplified or that in some way it could be stirred up or it could be caused to come alive in a more powerful way. And as this particular sage continued to play with this energy, realized that this energy took on different forms and different flavors as it ascended from its pit down at the bowl of the body and represented itself in various ways along this ladder of spiritual pursuit, up, up, up to the top of the head and beyond, and potentially back down even. So we had somebody who said, okay, I understand that there's this potential and the potential has resulted in X. It's done things with my perception. It's caused me to see things a little bit more clearly as it's gone through its stages and what have you. And so this person has been able to understand this energy pretty well. And the more that they get to know this energy, the more they realize they don't know it and how big and explosive and universal it actually is. And therefore, that energy became more of a mother goddess, sort of such an awesome figure that we just said that she is everywhere. She is everything. She's everything that moves. She's everything that stirs. And we also show her in a fierce way where she's so mighty and powerful that if you're not careful and you don't understand her, that she could destroy as well, just as easily as she creates. In other words, her movement can be to death or life. It's completely up to the way that we have our intention pointed. And so if we take that as a basis of our knowledge, it would seem that a practitioner, (laughs) you have two kinds of practitioners, a sensible one and a pirate. The sensible one says, I probably should seek qualified counsel before I try to expose and antagonize this energy, lest she take my life, right? Lest she rend me apart in pieces. And then the other one says, I'm so thirsty that I'm just going to do whatever it takes to be done and get her to move. The problem is, is that to actually stir this energy up in this bowl at the bottom of the body, certain practices have to be done in certain ways. And there has to be certain conditions set up. That is very, very rare in truth. That doesn't happen often, actually. So when, you know, there's a whole system of Eastern yoga dedicated to Kundalini, the Kundalini Tantra kind of path. It's to get her to move. It's to cry out to her and have her begin to stir within you. But most of those practitioners rarely feel actual Kundalini over many decades of practice. It's a rare thing to be touched by that spirit is a very holy and rare thing. 
So usually what happens is the practitioner, the seeker, this person who's needing answers to the bigger questions of life, usually seeks guidance to potentiate, to get this energy moving and going correctly and understand it well enough so that they can not only use it effectively, but also safely. And so somebody on their own, and just to wrap this cautionary words up into this final package, somebody who's interested in this should always and most definitely seek counsel or seek somebody who has a thorough understanding of this energy and has experienced it themselves. And usually that person can help you generate that energy within yourself pretty easily over time and get it going in the right way and with the right carefulness. So, okay, with that disclaimer aside, this energy happens to be an energy that will influence and affect everyone on the spiritual path. So in other words, everyone who has the intention to evolve, anyone on any kind of path, whether it's a path of prayer, or it's a path of work, physical work, or it's a path of mental contemplation, or it's a path of energy, whatever kind of path you're on, this energy is going to be stirred up in you at some point. It has to be. You cannot go through the process of realizing a true, authentic, radiant-like mind and a heartfelt joyfulness. Those two things won't stir together without having this kind of flavor of energy moving and stirring as well. The only difference is that in one tradition, they went right after her, sort of like a good scientist who says, okay, at the end of the day, she's responsible for a lot of this. Let's go get her. And another kind of practitioner just happens to be graced by her without really knowing her, sometimes without even understanding her completely. She just happens to touch them and give them some of this movement evolutionary energy. And there really isn't rhyme or reason. You could ask the person, how did you get this conscious growth and the spurring of your newfound aspiration toward this evolutionary process? And they'll tell you, I'm not sure. Somehow there's something stirring within me. It's operating within me. And I had nothing to do with antagonizing it, nor did I understand it or seek it. It's just happening. And so it's just two ways of looking at that kundalini or universal life force evolutionary energy kind of process. It's either whether you're doing it deliberately or you're doing it not deliberately. And I'll stop there. Thank you. Yeah. A few years ago, I attended the kundalini yoga class. In one of the first sessions, there was a guy there who claimed he had awakened kundalini crashing his BMX bike. And I remember thinking, well, <laughs> that doesn't sound right. That's not how it's done. But, you know, here we are. And uh, as you're saying, it can happen without that much conscious involvement in the process. It can happen like that, by accident, sort of. Well, I don't know the qualifications of the person, but if they were going along the path at some point, they're going to realize that it wasn't the physical bike accident that caused a stirring of this energy. If, in fact, it's true that authentic kundalini touched this particular person, at some point, they would realize that it wasn't the physical impact or anything that happened to them physically that causes. It was more of a pushing over a cliff. So this accident may have caused them to reach some pinnacle, and they were just that feather close to the cliff anyway. This pushed them over the side, and then they happened to have started to recognize and feel this energy moving within them. That could be the case. So let me just predicate that by saying in most cases, when people think that they have kundalini energy, they're really just feeling heightened senses within the body and they're becoming more accustomed to the senses within the body. And it doesn't necessarily mean that that particular flavor or type of energy is actually awakened and or moving through the meridians of the subtle body. So there are a couple things there to consider. But that said, 
if there were a way you could just tap on your body in a certain place and that would just make an activation, the sages of the past would have figured that out, handed that down to us. We would have all done it and been gone by now. So obviously, it's not a physical thing. This is not something where you say, well, if you stand in a certain position for long enough, it will always come. That's obviously not the case. There has to be a certain set of circumstances or conditions set within ourselves in terms of intention. Everything comes back to intention. When we have the right intensity of intention, coupled with the right will or the right single-pointed focus on that intention, that aspiration, and that is held long enough to overcome the rhythms of the body, then that invites or sets the right conditions within for the response from that energy to correct, heal, and evolve us. It has to be within our intention. It has to be within our will. So it's not a physical thing, although you can you know, say that there are physical practices, if utilized correctly, that can generate a stirring of energies within the body, for sure. In other words, I can achieve intention and will through physical activity. I cannot achieve intention and will correctly just from physical activity. In other words, if I stand in one position while I read the paper every single day, that's not going to necessarily mean kundalini is going to flow through me. But if I sit in a particular position every single day with the correct will and intention, that probably means that at some point, hopefully with the blessing of the teacher and the spirit that you'll be hit by it, hopefully sooner rather than later. So that's the misconception with most people. And that's twofold. One, whether or not they actually have authentic kundalini or universal energy running. A lot of people mistake that for just becoming more sensitive to the normal energies that are already running in cycles and rhythms within them the winds or the airs, et cetera, or two, what caused it, how it was caused, and understanding it correctly. So that's the second problem, I think, is whether or not it's accurate, it's actually happening, and whether or not you understand it and realize how to work with it or how you made it come to be and how you work with it as well. Yeah, that was kind of what I was getting at. That there's a lot of misconception about it, but how can people tell? What does it feel like and what can you expect? When is it really kundalini and not just uh, a heightened sense of the energies in the body? This is a great question because this is actually giving me the proof of the pudding. What are the differentials between the two? And, you know, I had somebody tell me once during a get-together, one of the attendants of this get-together was dancing and they were into sort of ecstasy dance. And someone mentioned, is that kundalini? Is that universal energy right there? Is that what it is? And I said, I cannot say it's not that because she is everything. She's all of that. So there's no way to say that that really isn't Kundalini energy. But for the sake of the actual process and method of understanding this kind of energy, we can say that in that instance, the ecstasy and joy coming through that body is due to her, but not in the way that we would like, right? So that ecstasy is there, that joy is there. But if we're going to work a path that's about universal energies, that's beautiful, wonderful, and lovely. Run with that. Allow that to cultivate, manifest, and be in it with the right intention. But in truth, there's a specific kind of process that we want to do within that allows us to get to that energy in an authentic and realistic way so that it's helpful and productive. Because that one dance, that night of ecstasy and dance, doesn't necessarily equate to wholesale changes long-term. That could just be one night of experience. And we have enough experience. <laughs> We've experienced enough things already. We don't need to just have experiences. So if our intention is just to have experiences, we're not yet on the path of evolution. What we want to get and what we want to attain within is the intention to change, to become more than we are now, 
to overcome the iterations of the mind and the reactionary emotions, to become someone who is clearer and brighter and more helpful to the world around us. These kinds of changes in the beginning are where we start to set our intention. More so than just more pleasure, because I see pleasure and pain as being the same thing and the same problem. I don't need any more of those two things. I have plenty. Thank you. But really, how can I change so that I can see those two things more clearly and work with them more clearly? That's a totally different intention. So yes, Kundalini energy is running through that person as they dance and sing and as they go through their ecstasy, of course. There isn't a place that she isn't. But for the path, specifically methods and processes, there is a way that we want her to move. There are times we want her to stir and there are places we want her to go in an order in a specific fashion so that we can actually achieve these wholesale changes and not just one or two or three weeks of fun and then go back to the same old, same old. Thank you. I guess a lot of people have experience with Kundalini through Kundalini yoga. Can you say a few words about that? Is that something that will help you if you're interested in pursuing this path to awaken this energy? I have several practitioners that I teach that have come from Kundalini yoga, as it's called. I think that term is a mishmash of terms. I don't know if there's ever really been a Kundalini yoga segment of Eastern practice. Personally, I mean, it may exist, I may be wrong, but I don't know that to be the case. I think this universal life force energy is within every practice in every part of the world and always has been. Another problem with this is that yoga, the word yoga, typically what they mean to say is asana which is a part of yoga, a system of doing this process. Yoga itself has many parts to it. If you're able to do one of the parts, asana, and you're able to maintain the other parts of it, the other conditions of it, dharana, dhyana, samadhi, etc., within that asana, and you're able to do those things together, then you're achieving yoga, <laughs> union then. And you're actually putting everything together in one moment, and that would be beautiful, blissful, and perfect. But usually, the asana part is really a stage in development. It doesn't really go away, but it's something that has to be done in order to prepare a foundation. The body has to be made pliable, and the energy currents in the body have to be open and fluid to make the path easier, to remove obstacles. And remember, everything in the path is efficiency, skillful means, right? We want to take away all the obstacles so that we can get there quicker or as fast as possible. We don't want to have these corrections and these difficulties, and they do come, that's what the path is. The path is difficulties and corrections and changes and alterations to our being. We don't want that to last for a long time for no good reason. We want it to be as short as possible. So if we can get the body in decent health, and I do not mean, you know, I'm a great distance runner, or I'm a weightlifter, or I'm a kickboxer. I mean, real health with the energies of the body, and keep the body's energies in health, then it removes another obstacle because the body's energies influence the nervous system. The nervous system influences the brain. The thought stream influences how we can contemplate and meditate on the depth of our presence and so on and so forth. It's an interconnected chain. So the body side of that is vital. We want the body to be somewhat healthy in terms of energy currents. And if it's not healthy, somebody asked me recently, can it still be done? Of course. But it's like anything else. If you're going to learn how to be a good runner, I'll use the example I used earlier. You could tie a weight to your leg and run. And someone may run next to you and say, hey, if you take that weight off your leg, you're going to get there much faster. But you could also say to them, but I'm still going to get there. Yes, you will. But it's just going to be a little bit more difficult. But if you're okay with that, you're going to make it too. Because it really just comes down to the intention and will. And all of these inner energies work organically 
toward the same goal if we're pointed toward the same goal within. So again, this is a very complex subject that we're talking about because it involves the core ideas and concepts of the path. These concepts and ideas are missed most of the time in a spiritual pursuit. So when we say, oh, kundalini yoga, kundalini tantra, hatha yoga, or Tibetan Buddhism or Taoism, or at the end of the day, if we're looking to create a diamond-like radiant awareness and overcome the pain-pleasure threshold that seems to control us, we have to go to the fundamental core parts of the practice, and that is will and intention. We have to have the right intention coupled with the right will so that we can maintain ourselves through rhythm. Specifically speaking, what will happen with Kundalini? She will awaken and rise regardless. But if you do not have the right teacher to guide you through all of this maze, it could become a long and arduous process filled with suffering and strife and lead to countless death and rebirth again and again until we figure it out or somebody comes and helps us figure it out. Gotcha. My next question is something that you just touched upon, which is the role of a teacher or guru in this process. How does a teacher help you? Could you say a few words about that? The importance of having somebody who's already done this process can't be overstated because they're going to save you from yourself. Essentially, the problem is within you, it's too hard to navigate around. If you're surrounded by yourself, by your ego and your instruments and mental aggregates, and you have all these senses, the pulls of rhythms and pains and pleasures and the reactions of the habit energies and so on and so forth, and you're stuck in the middle of all of this, of your body-mind vehicle that's operating much more powerfully and much more in control of you than you are of it. If that's the case, and you do not have somebody who's already been through it and understands the process, you're like sitting out in the middle of an ocean on a piece of wood trying to find land somewhere. If you haven't navigated it before, you're not going to fall backwards into it by mistake. If it were that it was so easy you could fall backwards into it, there would be millions of very radiantly clear human beings that were selfless and loving and compassionate and so on. It would just be everywhere. But we know this isn't the case, unfortunately. So it's vital that you find somebody, somebody that's done this and understands it and that can start to point you in the direction the right way so that we can avoid the obstacles and then also understand the direction to go coupled with the fact that the teacher knows where you are. The teacher, the guide, the friend, Whatever the ego wants to call this person, we'll call this person whatever is going to be acceptable to the ego for the sake of healing. This person can understand you better than you understand yourself simply because they're on a different conscious level. They simply just know and can see your energy is rising up way before you can. Prior to your reactionary speech or action, prior to your reactionary emotion, prior to the thought form itself, prior to the desire, and at the point source of energy, the teacher can see that space and know it ahead of time before you have a chance to even look back on it and see it coming. So it's really important that you're near and close to that kind of a person in some way so that they can tell you, listen, adjust here, adjust there, watch this, watch that. And you, as a practitioner or a seeker, are not going to understand most of the things that the teacher is telling you to do simply because you've never been there before and you don't have the conscious purview to really get it yet. So what you find constantly in groups are new seekers that come in 
They throw a revolt against any authority because that's just the nature of how we begin. We don't trust anyone. We don't trust anything. And that's okay. In fact, that should be that way. Because the whole point of us starting the past is saying, hey, you know what? I've been ripped off my whole life. Even my birth, my mom and dad have ripped me off. They didn't tell me the right things. They didn't raise me the right way. They didn't prepare me for this world correctly. All of my friends didn't prepare me for this world correctly. The government didn't prepare me for the world correctly. My school didn't prepare me for the world correctly. They just taught me some regurgitated information they got that didn't work for them. So in some way, they actually screwed me over. Now, I'm being facetious, obviously. Nobody meant to do that in most cases. But nevertheless, this is true. So when you go to a teacher, when you start, you look at the teacher and your eyes and head are tilted and you say, do something, show me. But what happens is over time, if that teacher's authentic, there's this sort of calling that happens. And you can't help, <laughs> no matter how hard your mind tries to create conflict and judgments and analysis, you can't help but be drawn toward this person. Because somewhere in the seat of your soulness, there's a knowing. And although the person might seem out of their mind, and they might be in left field and right field, and you can't get where they're coming from at any given moment, you realize in your heart, I don't get them because I don't get me, but they get me. And that knowing is there. And after a time, you'll see that beginner grow and suddenly become an adept. And that adept becomes conscious enough to realize the teacher cares for me more than I care for me. And I see that clearly now. That's become a fact and not any kind of faith. And from there, you continue to move forward simply on the facts of what's been proven to you over time. Never mind all the wild and crazy things the teacher does in terms of things that you can't imagine, right? You see things and you hear things and you go, how does the teacher do that? Forget about all that woo nonsense. Just the fact that they love and care for you so much and you realize that you don't love and care for yourself, let alone anybody else like that. That's a person you aspire to be like. So if spirituality means that I'm wise and loving and compassionate and that's the teacher, and I've seen it in the teacher, then I want to be whatever that teacher is, and I want to do whatever that teacher is doing. So those two stages have to come to the seeker. And at first, it's difficult. And so like Christ says in the New Testament, he says, they'll know me by my voice, right? So you hear it, and you say, for some reason, that's haunting me. Everything points to no in my ego mind, because of course, my ego mind wants nothing to do with the path at all. It's going to find every excuse in the world to do everything else but the path. It's going to want to do TV and Cheetos and beer and pizza and sports games and everything else but that. But still, there's a longing. And that longing, once it's heard, it's done. You're not going to be able to get away because you're always going to drive back to that. You always know naturally, just like a child to its mother, it just knows. And that's the kind of teacher you're looking for. And if you're blessed to have that in your life, cleave to her or him and let them help you, lead you, and let them bring you to a place that's like they are. That's the way that they love you is the way that you love others and you love yourself. So back to Kundalini. So what does Kundalini have to do with all of that? Kundalini is driving and thriving within the teacher. The teacher can make this energy hot or cold or electro or magnetic. It can make it anything it wants it to be. It sort of now becomes one with it. It now begins to play with it. And the teacher now understands it and is filled with it. We can even say that it becomes the teacher or the teacher becomes it or they unify in some kind of way. And the soulness in you also feels that. And that can be felt almost physically in some cases with a seeker, where they say, I don't know, when I get around the teacher, something's sparking in me. 
And of course, the teacher can, if they want to, at some point, turn that spark up a little bit and actually start to seed and germinate within you some kind of sensitivity to the energy that starts to be pronounced and then help you drive that energy in the right way, which doesn't mean good way. It just means right way. There's a difference. The good way is you're feeling joyful and pleasant. That's not always the right way. The right way is to move it where corrections occur, where you face things within that the energy is leading you to so that you learn how to understand it better and work with it better and ultimately become free. And so Kundalini or this universal life force energy, this serpent-like energy that slithers (laughs) and awakens and hisses and moves you and shakes you in the core of your being is the teacher. It's teaching us, just like it's in your physical teacher fully, and it wants to lure us up and out of our current conditions of suffering, pain, and delusion. And so, whether we go after this energy and we say, oh, I'm deliberately going after this universal life force energy, or we're just doing another path, this energy is active and working within you as soon as you turn your intention toward the evolutionary process. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Just to finish off, something you said about Kundalini as the great mother of Kundalini as being everything, that seems an awfully big thing to touch on, but just briefly, what do you mean? She's everything? Yeah, that's too big. So let's bring that down. And this is why we cut things up. And it's okay to cut things up because we need to understand them in a more simplistic way. We need to be able to relate with them. So instead of saying that she is all movement, That's too big. So let's try to make one thing become two things. And then we can even divide more if we need to. But let's just say we have one thing, we split it in half. So now we have movement and we have stillness. Or we have the observer and the observed. So we have the thing that's looking. And of course, in order to have a thing that's looking, you need that thing that's looking to be looking at something. And that something, in order for it to be different than the looker, has to move, has to variate, has to become different in some way. It has to wave. So, she's the waving motion. She's the one that stirs, stirs and creates some type of differential so we can notice or pay attention to or wake up to her movement. So, when I say she's everything, ultimately, that movement is in everything and that stillness is in everything. And within the stillness is movement and within the movement is stillness as well. Okay, now I know that that didn't help anybody do anything but get a brain cramp, but it's still a fact that within the stillness is movement, within the movement is stillness. However, at some point, there's a recognition of each other. There's a recognition that I'm aware of something else, or I think it's something else, and I know it's different than me because it is taking a different form. And it isn't through unification that we figure out that that thing that's taking a different form is actually me, that until that unification happens we can't be freed from the suffering of the division that it causes. In other words, as long as it's outside and moving, and I'm dissimilar to it, I find differences in it and me, we're at odds. Now, those odds can be pleasant, but they can also be very painful too. So as long as we're at odds with that outside movement, and we believe that we're just the stillness, and we're at odds with that, there's always going to be strife. So the whole idea behind any spiritual movement is to unify those two places, the perceiver and the perceived. And they come together somewhere in the middle, in the space between them. And the seeming space between them is their unification. 
And so without tying more knots into everyone's brains with this mumbo jumbo, I'm going to stop here (laughs) and just say that in that movement becomes a myriad of different kinds of combinations of movement and stillness. And we call that earth matter, water matter, fire matter, air matter, space matter, right? It's like the elements. They're just different versions of movement stillness within each other. So space is like mostly stillness and earth is mostly the movement energy, right? It's mostly the denser energy. And they both look at each other and stare at each other from a distance. And in between them is the variations of their combinations. And so all of this, you know, this is philosophical nonsense. (laughs) I don't like it because it's not practical, but sometimes it creates an itch within the contemplative mind and you sort of go, you know, it's an interesting idea or concept and it helps me gravitate more toward the path. And if it serves that purpose, then it's positive. So I hope that it does that. But in any case, none of this should be accepted just at face value because it sounds pretty. It should be investigated because it's awesome. It shouldn't be investigated because life is incredible once we understand it even a little bit. And the problem is right now, we don't understand it as a human race at all. And that needs to change. Yeah, it is awesome. And to me, at least, super interesting. And I guess there's a lot of people out there who are interested in this, evolving, changing, becoming more, and so on. So let's do it. (laughs) All right. I think that's enough for today. Thank you so much for finding the time to do this today, Daishi. You're very welcome. Thanks for doing the show with me. I appreciate it. And uh, if anybody wants to find out more, go to drukama.com, D-R-U-K-A-M-A.com. We'll be happy to teach you from the absolute beginner to the more advanced adept practitioner. We have instructions step-by-step on anything you can think about in terms of spirituality or the spiritual process. At the end of the day, however, if you're not interested in learning any of this through us, our teachers or tutors or our temple, feel free to go somewhere, please, I'm begging, so that you can learn more about yourself and find more comfort in life, find more joy in life, and find more purpose for sure. Thanks again. I appreciate you, V. All right. Thank you. And if you have any questions or comments about the show, please email us at radio at drukama.com. Thanks for listening. Blessings to you all and see you next time. Mm